Well, I'm, I'm turning back tonight to Numbers chapter 21, and our focus will be on those uh, verses from verse 4 uh, through to verse 9 there. That's the incident that we read a moment ago of the brazen serpent that Moses uh, made for uh, the people of Israel. And uh, for those of you who like a, a text to hang your thoughts off, um, perhaps you like to hang your thoughts off verse 8 in particular where it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And my title tonight is Life for Those Who Look. Life for Those Who Look. This particular incident that we read earlier occurs during uh, the wilderness wanderings. The Israelites, you will remember, you'll recall, had been saved from bondage in Egypt and they had been delivered. And uh, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that the Lord had delivered them with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. He'd done it with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And they'd been wonderfully delivered from their bondage. And the Lord had protected them and provided for them, hadn't he, in the most extraordinary and, and wonderful way. He'd given them water out of the rock to quench their thirst. He'd provided manna that fell from heaven to satisfy their hunger. He'd also given them victory over their enemies. We read of one such example there in the opening verses. And he had watched over them and led them as a flock. And despite all that the Lord had done for them, you notice in verse 5 of this chapter, Numbers 21, we read, The people spake against God. They were much discouraged, we read there, because of the way. And so they grumbled and they murmured and they were discontent. And they rebelled in their hearts against the Lord and they complained with their lips. And you know how, how this often happened, didn't it? And they said it would have been better if we had died in Egypt than to have been brought out. And so they complained. And because of the people's rebellion and because of their unthankfulness, we read there in verse 6 that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Fiery serpents. Now the wilderness that they were journeying through uh, was full of these snakes. If you read Deuteronomy 8 and verse 15, the impressions given there that this wilderness was full of these fiery serpents. But up until this point, it would appear that the Lord had uh, preserved his people. He had kept back these snakes from entering the camp. But now his hand of restraint is, is lifted and these snakes come in. And you know what happened in the passage that we read. These snakes, they bit the people and those who were bitten died and so the people cried for help to Moses they realized that they had sinned and and so they now come and seek divine aid and in verse 7 there it says that Moses prayed for the people and the Lord speaks to to Moses and he gives him this instruction that he should make this snake this fiery serpent and put it upon a pole and from now on anyone who is bitten by a snake all they have to do is to look at this snake and they will live, and they would not die. And so Moses does this, and we read there in verse 9, that all those who looked are wonderfully delivered from death. And as we read this uh, remarkable incident in the, the life of the children of Israel as they journey through this wilderness, we may think, well, this is a lovely story, it's a wonderful 
uh, great interesting story, one of those stories that makes you know, a Sunday school class sit up and listen. After all, children love stories about animals, don't they? And they like stories about death too. And when you combine the two, well, this makes a great story, particularly for young boys to listen to. But the passage that we read from a moment ago in John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear that this, there's far more to this story than simply something that's interesting, an interesting moment in the history of Israel. By his words in, in chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, he, he directly shows us that what is being presented to us here in Numbers 21 is a picture of himself and a picture of his cross and a picture of his work at Calvary. Now that's the, the way, of course, to view the whole of the Old Testament. It's to look through the lens of Christ. Christ is all the way there through the Old Testament. But here the Lord Jesus especially points to this incident and says, I'm there, that's me, it's a picture of me. So the whole occasion that we have in front of us here, it's a painting for us. The snake-bitten Israelites are an illustration of the condition of sinful man. In the brazen serpent, we have an illustration of the remedy in Christ and in his cross. And so every detail here reveals to us gospel truths. And so this evening, I want us to look at this passage. And I want us to look at it through this lens that Christ gives to us. And I want us to draw out a, a number of points with you this evening as we look at these verses together. And the first thing that we notice here is the sickness of sin. The sickness of of sin. As we said here, the people are discontent with gods. They were discouraged because of the way that we read there in verse 4. And they forgot, didn't they, all about God and all that he had done for them, all that he was to them. He'd been their father. He'd been their defender. He'd been so gracious to them in providing for them, in keeping away all these evils and, and preserving them. And they became discontent, and so they sinned against gods. And in response to their, their sin, as we said, the Lord sent these snakes, these serpents into the camp and those who were bitten died. Now, as I said a moment ago, this is a picture of sinful man. It's an illustration of the condition of the sinner. And the picture presented here is, is one that shows us the sad condition of the sinner, the terrible condition of the sinner. It shows to us the sickness that sin brings. Just look at some of these details with me here. You notice firstly that the sickness of sin, it was transmitted. These Israelites became sick through the bite of a, of a snake. These serpents came out of their holes and from under the rocks and so on, and they, they struck those in the camp. They bit them and they, you can imagine, sank their fangs into, the, into their victim, and the venom quickly spread through the victim's body. And, and the sinner here is likened to such a person who's been bitten and has this poison, this venom running through them. And friends, that's how sin entered the world, wasn't it? Back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan disguised as a serpent. And you can read all about that passage there. And he brought sin into the world, didn't he? Adam and Eve were deceived and they sinned and the serpent struck as it were. The venom was released and now all mankind has this sickness of sin coursing through their veins. So it was transmitted, but we also see that this sickness of sin, it was painful. You know, in verse 6 there, we're given a description of these snakes and we're told very specifically that they were fiery serpents. 
or burning serpents. It's the same word that's used for seraphims, the burning ones. And it would appear that these, uh, the description here is describing the, the burning sensation and the, the pain their victims felt when they were bitten. This bite would cause the most distressing pain and, and torment. Now you can, uh, you can go online and read about the various effects of, uh, of snake bites. I'm not suggesting you do this uh, because it's quite gruesome, some of the details, but uh, the things that happen to the human body when a, when a snake bites, it's, it's a terrible thing. It depends, of course, on which species bites you, but uh, on the whole, it seems that the majority of cases, it affects your blood system. The toxins uh, have a negative effect on your, the way that your blood clots in your body. And so many people have swelling, and nausea, convulsions, and even paralysis. And as I said, I'll spare you some of the more gory details, but ultimately people die from an internal bleeding. It's horrible, it's painful. And friends, this is what sin is like. Its toxins bring, bring pain, sin brings torment to our lives. Sin is like a venom, isn't it? And it causes us to be paralyzed with guilt. We convulse, as it were, in anguish. Spiritually, it brings misery to our lives. And friends, tonight, have you not experienced that in your own life, the misery that sin brings? Perhaps you've committed a sin in your life and you've seen all the consequences that follow, the venom that follows and all the, all the pain and the anguish that that sin brings. Perhaps it was a sin to others and you've seen all the pain and the anguish it's caused to others around you. Perhaps it was to yourself. You see, sin is a horrible sickness that brings pain. But we also notice here that this sickness of sin is deadly. It's deadly. Because in verse 6 it tells us, much people of Israel died. Much people died. They were you know, these bites simply didn't just cause a bit of sickness that people quickly got over. It wasn't just a few days of being in a bit of pain and a bit of hurt. It, it, this wasn't the case that, you know, after, uh, after some time you gradually recovered from this. This was fatal. And the Bible makes it clear, doesn't it, to us over and over again that the full fruit of sin is death. Remember what James chapter 1.15 tells us. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You think of the words in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, verse 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Or the well-known words, of course, of the Apostle Paul, the wages of sin is death. And again, you can go right back to the Garden of Eden. You see it pictured there, don't you? The warning given to Adam and Eve. If you disobey God, if you sin against me, God says, if you take the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil and you eat it, the day that you eat it, thou shalt surely die. See, sin is a sickness and a disease that leads to spiritual death, to separation from God. Sin is, sin is deadly. And you'll notice here in this passage that we, that we read from this instant here, there's no remedy for it. There was, there was no anti-venom available to the children of Israel. There was no way that these poor victims could ever find a way to reverse the effects and, and alter their condition. Once, once these people were bitten, the poison was, was flowing through them and, they, and there was nothing that they could do. Now I'm sure that some of those who were bitten or those who watched on as somebody was bitten, they tried to do everything they could 
to relieve their pain, reduce the the suffering. They sought every means that was available to them to, to help. But of course, ultimately, it was all fruitless. The people died. And friends, sin is like this. There's no human remedy for this sickness. Now, lots of people try various things to reduce the suffering. They seek means to alleviate the pain. Perhaps this is something you do. You've tried various things to do. You've sought ways, as it were, to, to suck the poison of sin out. You've administered your own treatment. But it, but it all proves to be futile in the end. In the sickness of sin, it's humanly incurable. It brings misery. Its effects are spiritual. Its effects are eternal. These Israelites here in, in the wilderness, they suffered, suffered, didn't they, physically for a time, and then they died. That death, in a sense, brought an end to their pain, didn't it? But what sin brings is everlasting. It's a sobering thought, isn't it, to think that you leave the misery of this world, and if you do so in your sin, you enter the misery of the world to come, which is an endless misery, an endless torment. Hell is a place, isn't it, where it's described as where the worm dieth not. And so we see here this sickness of sin. But moving on tonight, notice secondly with me the cure in the cross. The cure in the cross. Because Moses is then given an instruction. He's implored by the people first to pray in verse 7. The people had seen, hadn't they, that their sin, it was their sin that had brought this misery And death upon the camp. And so they plead with Moses, will you not pray for us? Will you not come to God for us? And the Lord in response gives uh, Moses the the instructions here to make this fiery uh, serpent. He was to make a snake that looked like the ones that were biting the people. And he was to take this snake and he was to set it upon a pole. And the pole was evidently to be lifted up. It was to be placed so that people could look at this snake and when they looked at the snake they could be saved and they wouldn't have to die and they could live. And this was going to be their their cure. This was going to be the remedy uh, for their problem. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in that passage we read in John chapter 3 and verse 14 there. He says there, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up and Christ is saying he's speaking of the cross he's speaking of that that day when he would be nailed to that Roman crucifix and he would be lifted up and he would die in in agony and excruciating pain and Jesus says to us look there is the cure for us there's the cure for the sickness of sin it's it's in the cross it's in my death at, at Calvary there's the cure that you need now, there is a number of things that we notice here in this, this passage. You notice, firstly, that this cure that was, was given was a supernatural cure. You know, Moses didn't go away, did he, and uh, invent his own solution. You know, the whole plan was devised, wasn't it, by the mind of God. It was his plan. It was his cure. The origins of this idea were entirely divine. Moses had no, no part in this nor did he have to embellish it or do anything to it. He was simply given the instruction. And friends, that's the case with the cross of Christ. The whole plan of of man's redemption and salvation is of divine origin. 
No, angels didn't invent it. Man couldn't even have dreamed of it. It was all of the triune God. It was him who devised it from beginning to end. It was devised in the mind of him who is all wise. And as you look on, you have to say, don't you, that wisdom shines in this plan as you look at it. This great plan of redemption is so amazing. It's so, it's, it's so beyond our comprehension. God the Father sending his, his son into the world. Who would have thought that that would be the solution to our problem? And you think the serpent here, it was made in the likeness of the serpents who bit. And what do we read about Christ? He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And Christ here, the God-man, he comes into this world in the likeness of sinful flesh. He lives amongst human beings. He lives a righteous life. And in part of this plan, is he going to go to a cross? He's going to die. Die as a, a substitute. Die an atoning death. And that death would fulfill all the types and the shadows that are here in the Old Testament. The whole plan was divine. It was supernatural. You know, friends, tonight they should provide us with a great comfort. It must have been a comfort to the Israelites, mustn't it? They cried and God answered. He gave them a cure. Human effort had failed up to this point, but now the Lord answered and said, look, here is a cure. Here's the way that you can be saved and you can have life. And friends, the cross of Christ is the same for us. It's a, it's a cure for sin. It's a divine cure. There's nothing that we can do, but God's given us the cure. We could also say about this, this cure, it was implausible, wasn't it? We might even say ab absurd in, in, in one sense. I mean, you know, how could a, a model of a, of a snake stuck upon a pole placed in the middle of a camp ever save anyone's life? It's just ridiculous. You could imagine, can't you, a conversation between sort of two people in the camp. You know, one comes running and his friend's just been bitten and he's, you know, have you not heard that... So-and-so from the tribe of Judah has just been bitten and they're, and they're dying. Where's Moses? I need to find Moses. Is, is there something that he can do? You know, and the reply comes back, well, Moses is in his tent. Well, what's he doing in there? There's people, people dying everywhere from, from these snakes. Well, well, apparently he's making a, a bronze snake in his tent. A bronze snake? Well, a, a bronze What's he doing that for? And another man replied, well, this is supposedly our cure. Apparently God's spoken to him. He's got to make a bronze snake. A bronze, well, I could understand if it was a gold snake, perhaps. Or I could understand if it was a silver snake, but a bronze snake. Well, what's he going to do with this snake? Is he going to wave it over somebody who's been bitten? Is he going to say something magical while he holds the snake? The man replies, well, no, he's going to, apparently he's going to stick it on a pole. And he's going to put the pole in the ground so everyone can see it. Stick it on a pole, a bronze snake on a, on a pole in the middle of the camp. This is our cure. This is the thing that's going to save us. You can imagine that people thinking it's ridiculous. There's Moses. He takes it out of the tent. He puts it on the pole. He sets it up in the camp. Everyone's standing around and wondering, that's it? That's the thing that's going to cure us and save us? This is, this is the solution to our problem? You can see, can't you, how people would have thought this is just absolutely absurd, ridiculous. And friends, the same is true, isn't it, with the cross of Christ? Many think it's absurd. 
They think it's, it's ridiculous, it's, it's implausible. A Jewish man dying upon a cross 2,000 years ago, that's going to save me from my sin? That's the, that's the solution to my greatest problem? Really? A man on a cross? Here's this man, Jesus of Nazareth, some, some backwater town, nailed on a cross, covered in blood. That's the cure? You know, it reminds me of something I saw once. I may have used this example before, but I'm going to do so again because it's personal to what I'm making here, the points I'm making. Because once I saw a, a Superman cartoon, and in this Superman cartoon, this comic strip, the, the, the situation was that there was an asteroid heading for the Earth, and the people realized that this asteroid was heading for the Earth, and so they cried out to Superman, Superman, are you going to save us? And the next thing you see in the next box, as it were, in the comic strip, you see Superman doing a handstand. And everyone's looking on at Superman and they're saying, what's he doing? This is no time for messing about and doing handstands. The the world's about to be destroyed. You see, what they didn't realize was that uh, Superman, he wasn't doing a handstand, but he was actually pushing the earth away from the trajectory of this asteroid and he was saving the earth. And I know that's a very poor illustration, but in a sense that was what's happening at Calvary. Everyone sees just a man dying upon a cross, but it's there that Christ was saving sinners. You know, to the, to the Greeks it was, it was just something ridiculous, wasn't it? To the Jews it was a stumbling block. How could, how could this ever save anybody? But the truth was that God in Christ, he was reconciling the world unto himself. He was dying for sinners and saving sinners when he was upon that tree at Calvary. And this leads us on to say here, doesn't it, about this this cure here. It may have seemed absurd. It may have been implausible. It may have seemed ridiculous, but it was effectual. In verse 8, we're told there that the people were given the promise that if they were bitten by a serpent and then they looked, it says there, they shall live. And then in verse 9, not only were they given the promise, but we see that it came into, into effect because when a man looked at that serpent of brass, it says, he lived. It worked. The sting of death was taken away the moment that somebody glanced at that at bronze serpent. It was instant. They were saved that very moment from all their anguish and pain and death. You know, friends, this is true of Christ. It's true of his cross. His work at Calvary, it's it's able to save you from spiritual anguish and from spiritual pain and from spiritual death. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. It's with his stripes we are healed. The cross is effectual. It works. Christ's work is effectual. Christ saves. Friends, tonight, if you want to know how your sins can be dealt with, if you want to know how this sickness of sin can be cured, then it's only in the cross. It's only in Christ. If you want pardon, if you want forgiveness, it's only in the cross. If you want life and you want to be, have the sin removed, the poison of sin removed, it's only in the cross. Sinners tonight, the cross of Jesus Christ is the cure 
that you need. We've noticed then these two things this evening. We notice the sickness of sin and the cure of the cross. But notice lastly with me, life with a look. Life with a look. Because the pole was erected in the camp, wasn't it? And we read there in verse 8, it says, It shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. You see, it wasn't enough, was it, that this pole was simply present in the camp. That wasn't enough to save and heal a person. It wasn't a case, you know, that once you were bitten, you immediately were, were healed simply because the brazen serpent was there and it was, and it was present and it was set up. Now, there was something that the people actually had to do. And the only requirement that was given to them was that they had to look. It was through looking that a person would live. They had to lift their eyes and actually gaze at this snake on a pole if they wanted to be healed. They had to look at this means that had been appointed by God. They had to trust God, didn't they? Then, and they had to look in faith if they, if they wanted to be healed. Even just a cursory glance, as long as it was done trusting, as long as it was done in faith, would save them. And by looking in this way, they, they had to therefore, didn't they, cease trusting their own ideas and their own abilities. They had to stop looking elsewhere for help. And in humility, they had to look up. And they had to look in faith at this snake. And you know, friends, what was true of the Israelites regarding the brazen serpent is true with Christ and his cross. If we're to be healed of our sin, if we're to be saved from eternal and spiritual death, then we must look at him. We must look in faith. We must believe in him and trust him. This looking is a believing trust in all that Christ is and all that he has done. And it's a trust that's empty of self. It's a, it's a humble trust. This is a trust in the means that God has so graciously provided and appointed. This is a trust in Christ and, and him alone. It's a, it's a trust that says Christ can save. And he can save me. It's a trust in his work on the cross. You know, by looking and believing, you say, look, I know that Christ died for my sins. It's his death that's going to heal me. I realize I, I cannot heal myself. I cannot save myself. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to look in faith to Jesus. And I'm going to trust him to save me. That's what Christ was saying, wasn't it, there in John chapter 3. In those verses there. He says, even as I was lifted up. As the serpent was in the wilderness, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But then he says this, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a look, believe, trust in him. And friends, this looking is something that's so simple, isn't it? Looking is so easy. You know, even a child that was bitten by a snake in the camp could look and live. Even the most uneducated could look and live. You don't even have to move your head in a sense. All you've got to do is move your eyes and look up. You notice that the serpent was on a pole. It was high. It was made high so it was so easy to see. Wherever you were in the camp, you could look and see this snake. All you had to do was just glance, look in faith. You know, friends, believing in the Son of God and trusting him, it's so simple. 
You don't need a, a PhD in, in Christianity to believe and trust in Christ. You don't need to have read the whole of the Bible. You don't need to go through some sort of special spiritual ritual. You just need to look in faith. You know, boys and girls tonight, even you can do this. It's that simple. It's that easy. You can believe in Christ. You can trust him. You don't have to wait until you're older. You don't have to wait till you reach a certain age to believe in Christ. You can be saved from your sin even tonight. All you have to do is look and believe in Christ. But you notice too, it's not only a simple thing to do to look, but it also had to be a personal thing. A personal thing. Notice what the words there are in verse 8. When he looketh upon it. He. It's personal. It's a personal act. You know, someone who was bitten by a snake couldn't rely on someone else for looking for them. Each person had to individually look for themselves. And so it is with Christ. This is something that you've got to do by yourself. Someone else can't look for you. I can't believe in Christ on your behalf. Your parents can't believe in Christ on your behalf. Your friends can't trust in Christ on your behalf. That's why the Saviour said back there in John chapter 3, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. It's a personal thing. And so as I close tonight, let me ask you, have you personally believed in Christ, have you looked to Christ to save you and heal you? Let me implore you tonight, if, you, if you've never looked to Christ to do so, it's so easy. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you come and trust in the Saviour when we've got this great problem of sin? You imagine someone in the camp, in the wilderness there who was bitten. They begin to feel the effects of the venom as it works and courses through their, their veins and through their body. But having been bitten, they refuse to look. Can you imagine it? You would think they were mad. The bronze serpent is just there. All you've got to do is look. Let me tell you, so-and-so from the camp down the road, he was saved. So-and-so from the tribe of Simeon, he was saved. You know, your friend, he was bitten and he was saved. Why will you not come? Why will you not look? You can imagine, what's stopping you? What's hindering you? It's just there. And friends, tonight I say the same to you. What's stopping you from looking and believing in Christ? Why will, you, why will you die when all you have to do is look? And my title tonight was Life for Those Who Look. And I pray if there's any tonight who've never looked, that even now in the quietness of your hearts, you would turn to Christ, look to Christ, and that you would find that life, spiritual life, in him.